And as we do so, you'll see in your bulletin the summons to the word, the summons that we do every week reminds us of the, the sobriety, the sanctity, the authority of, of God's word, and it calls us to, to pay attention. And when we see this, this uh, particular summons to the word is taken from Mark chapter 4. Let's read it responsively. Consider carefully, Jesus says, consider carefully how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, last week we started a sermon series called Redeeming the Routine. And we saw that scripture, listen to this, scripture uses the daily routine. It uses the aspects of our daily routine, our daily rhythm, to describe divine redemption. From sleeping, to waking, to bathing, to eating and drinking, to commuting. The Bible fills, listen to this, the Bible fills the mundane with meaning. It fills the boring with the beautiful. It fills our schedules with his story. So that the routine, what is simply the everyday routine, becomes something that is actually much more like a ritual, a ritual. How many of you, how many of you are not morning persons? More, yeah, that whole idea of just that. You, know, you get up in the morning, you think, this is, this, I, just, I just want to go back to bed. Right? There's, no, there's nothing good that will happen. And no one should be around. And a good, you know, this is not talking about social distancing, right? This is like permanent morning social distancing. Stay away from me, right? Well, um, perhaps you, you've, you've heard the saying, or someone has said about you, um, that this person got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. You ever heard that phrase, get up on the wrong side of the bed? I think I got up on that. That person got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about waking up in the morning, something that every single one of us does. We get up in the morning. And this is really beautiful. It's actually very simple. The Bible uses this idea of waking up actually in a number of ways. And this morning, I want to share just one of those. And it's from the Apostle Paul. It's taken from Romans chapter 13. I'm going to start, I'm going to read that beginning in verse 8. And Paul uses the metaphor of waking up, listen to this, to make sure that we as Christians, when we wake up each morning, that we don't get up on the wrong side of history. Let me say that again. The Apostle Paul Once he wants to use this metaphor so that each morning when we do wake up, we don't get up on the wrong side of history. We don't get up spending our day giving ourselves, expending ourselves, using our limited resources, our limited time, our limited energy, our relationships in the wrong way so that we end up on the wrong side of history. This morning's message is simple but very strategic. It's wonderful because the Apostle Paul can be very confusing, but here he's actually quite clear. And his message, this is so, this is just, man, this is like Christianity 101. This, his message strikes at the heart of how Christianity works, if you will, how it changes us, how it motivates us, how it feel, fuels us, how it gives us the capacity and the drive in the midst of all the hardship and chaos of life to actually obey. And it's a message that I think I probably need to hear more than anyone else here this morning. I need to hear it deeply. So in Romans 13, Paul wants us to wake up every morning 
to see the sun, to see the dawn, and say two things, two things. You ready? First, he wants us to say this. Keep loving because the light is coming. Can you remember that? Keep loving because the light is coming. When all around us seems dark, you read the newspapers, you think about our interpersonal relationships, how tough life is, how tough family is, how tough work is. We just want to stop. We just want to give up. But Paul this morning calls us to rise, to look at the dawn, as we'll see, and to say, keep loving because the light is coming. And second, he wants us to hear these words as well. Paul exhorts us. He says, stop the works of night. The works of night. What we do in the darkness. Stop the works of night and wield the weapons of light. It's beautiful, beautiful words that Jesus, uh, that Paul has for us here. Hear now the word of the Lord taken from Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Let these words soak into your souls. The apostle writes, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, they are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, and here's the, here's the key, and do this. Like, what does he give us the motive? He tells us what to do, but how do we do it? Why should we do it? Verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us set aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor or put on the weapons of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, this morning, please, we ask for an extra special measure of your grace. Father, we need you. We cry out for you. We beg you, please, hear, hear us this morning. Change us. Give us hope. Father, cleanse the impure. Inspire the despairing. Liberate the captives. Father, please use your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul desperately wants each of us to wake up every morning on the right side of history. He wants us to know, listen to this, he wants us to know where the world is going and to live accordingly. And to do that, he uses a central biblical metaphor. He uses the metaphor of darkness 
giving way to light, of night giving way to the dawn. It's a metaphor rooted in Genesis chapter 1 that so many of us know. We know this, that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there were, there were two things. There was darkness, and there was what the, what the Old Testament calls the deep. It's a way of speaking. It's a way of speaking about, about a, 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 an ocean that is full of chaos, that, is, that it has no ability whatsoever to, to be peaceful or calm. It's the deep. It's the abyss. It's dark. So the world, when God, as before God spoke into it, was a world of, deep, of, of deepness and dark. And darkness means that there can be no life. Try growing something in the absence of the sun. And darkness is something that is beyond human control. Think about that. Now, in our world today, when it gets dark out, what do we do? We just flip on a light. But throughout the majority of world history, Throughout the majority of world history, when the sun went down, guess what? Life stopped. I mean, you know, if you, you had some money, if you, were, if you were of means, you could buy, you know, you could, you certainly you could have a lamp, you could have oil, and you could use that, but oil was actually rather expensive. And so any sort of light that you would have during the night was, 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 was very rare. And so this notion of darkness, when things went dark, all human life stopped. The darkness was pervasive. It was beyond human control. I can remember when, uh, Sarah, when my family and I were living in Puerto Rico, shortly after Hurricane Maria, the entire island was without power. And boy, I tell you what, when the sun went down, it was dark. And you really couldn't do much of anything. And you wanted to conserve your flashlights as much as possible. You didn't know, at, the, at, the, at least in the immediate week or two following, you couldn't just, just run, to the, run to the grocery store and grab some batteries. Your phone is dead. That's it. It was dark. And you realize, wow, if I'm going to do something, I better do it during the day. Because nothing's going to happen. This notion of darkness is a way of communicating the impossibility of life. And the reality that so much of life is out of our control. But the whole idea of Genesis 1 is that God is greater than the darkness, that he stands outside of and is not subject to the darkness. And all that he needs to do is simply speak a word. Let there be light. And so Paul with scripture views world, listen to this, views world history as a single day. Think about that. All of history viewed simply as a single day, even a specific time of day, of the night giving way to the dawn, of darkness giving way to the light. See, Paul wants us to understand something central to how biblical obedience works. It's, it's very simple. It's this. What will be true drives what we're to do. What will be true in the future drives what we are to do in the present. Think of, think of you know, we've all heard in the news, and this is, not, this is not a political statement at all, it's simply an analogy. We've all heard in the news, you see it uh, just, just in social media, you see concerns about the uh, global warming. This idea that one day there's going to be this catastrophic um, disaster that will, that will result because of the things that we are doing now. And the idea is, this, is that in the future, what will happen, what will come true, 
determines today what we are to do, that we need to be more, uh, more, more environmentally conscious. This is the idea that something catastrophic in the future is going to happen unless we now do this. What will be true drives what we are to do. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's speaking of how the light, he says the light is coming so again, he says, keep loving because the light is coming. Let's look at the text again. Keep loving. The verses 8 through 10 is this exhortation to keep loving. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding. He gives us very brief financial advice. We could have a sermon on that, but we're not going to do that. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Brothers and sisters, you and I wake up every morning and we have a debt, a responsibility, an obligation as human beings to love one another. There is this continuing debt to keep loving, to keep giving, to keep sacrificing. And he says, he goes on to say, for whoever loves others fulfills the law. He speaks of all these commandments. He says, look, all these commandments and all their specificity can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, he says, is the fulfillment of the law. And we're going to talk about more about that. What do I mean by love? What does it look like to love? We'll give you some very concrete ways of thinking about that. But he says very simply, keep loving. In all your pain, in all your heartache, in all your sorrow, in all your despair, in all your confusion, I don't know what's going on. He calls us to keep loving. Now that may land heavy on you this morning. But I want to tell you something. I don't know about you in life. In life, I often feel so powerless. I feel like I, I can't control anything. I see good things. I want to help this marriage. I want to help this. I want to, I want to be a source of life and blessing and peace and wisdom here, 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 and here. And I just feel so powerless to do that. I can't control those things. But listen to me. No one can keep you from doing the one thing that God most wants you to do. Not even your enemies can keep you from loving them. You see that? You may say, I am so weak, I'm so powerless, I'm so hurting, I'm so defeated. But no one can keep you from doing that one thing. You don't need a degree to love. You don't have to be a certain age to love. You don't have to be a certain race or color or ethnicity to love. You don't need to have a title to love. You don't have to be a big deal. You don't have to be rich or poor. Anyone. There is a, there is a universality to this central command to love your neighbor, to love others, to love our enemies. Paul says, keep loving. It's verses 8 through 10. But then 11, and then 11 through 14, he gives us the reasons why. Verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time. Do you see that? The imperative to love is rooted in, in, in the time frame, in where the world is going. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
He says, look, the sands of time are sinking. The world is only going in one direction. The light is coming. It is on its way. It is inevitable. See, it is Christian ethics are rooted in the notion of the inevitability of history, of where the world is going because of what Jesus has done. He said on the cross, it is finished. There's no going back. There's no undoing. There's no reversing. There is an inevitable. The day is coming. If I can say it theologically, you ready for some big words? Ethics is rooted in eschatology. Eschatology is, the, is a, a word describing where the world is going. Eschatos in Greek means last things. La, the, what's last? And he's saying where things are going is the dawn. The light is coming. And in light of where the world is going, you want to be on the right side of history. You want to be show up on that day when the sun is shining bright and the, 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 the dawn of the age to come has arrived and the judgment is here. You are on the right side of history because you went all in every morning in the name of love. Losing your life in the midst of darkness, losing your life in the midst of pain, losing your life in the midst of confusion. You laid down your life. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So he says again, he says, keep loving because the light is coming. It's coming. And then he says, stop the works of night. To wield the weapons of light. Look at what he says here. It's so beautiful. I love how he says, verse 12, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So what? So let us set aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You could more generally translate that, that, that uh, word armor as weapons. That's just any sort of implement or instrument of warfare. Paul says, set aside the deeds of darkness. And he expands, verse 13, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, but not, not in dissension or jealousy. You know, Paul captures three different categories of sin. The first one is all about consumption. It's about consuming, right? He says, let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. He's speaking of the notion of just making life all about consuming. I'm just a customer, and I'm here to consume. Pleasure, consume pleasure, consume food, consume whatever it be I am here to simply intake. That's what it means to be in the darkness, the, wor the works of darkness, to be a consumer. The second one has to do more just simply with sexual morality and debauchery. It has to do with the idea of indulging in relations, in, in, in extramarital relations, in any sort of se sexual excess. And the third has to do with conflict. This is not in dissension and jealousy. I don't know about you, but I can be really good at conflict. Be really good at stirring up conflict. I can be good at getting lost, not only in interpersonal conflicts, but conflicts in our culture. Getting lost in politics, checking what, what you know, the good guys or the bad guys. Where are the polls? Democrats, Republicans. It's all about left and right. It's all about getting lost in dissension, lost in conflict, and it's all consuming. These are the deeds of darkness says the Apostle Paul, and he says, look, set aside, stop the works of night to wield the weapons of light. I love how he says this. Let's set, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And of course, that, that's to be understood in the light of what he's just said. What is the armor of light? It is the loving of others. 
He says, verse 13, let us behave decently in the daytime. Verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now let me just take, I want to apply this very simple idea of love. Okay, so he says, okay, you got me. It's a simple, message is simple. Keep loving because the night, excuse me, the light is coming. Keep loving because the light is coming. What does that look like, though? What is this command to love? Believe it or not, I'm going to overwhelm you with seven things, very briefly. Seven things, seven ways that we love. Okay, love says seven things. First thing that love says, are you ready? Let's see if you can remember a few of these. All right, kids, listen to this. First, love says, wow. It says, wow. You wake up in the morning of love, you think, you say, wow. You look at others and you see that they are made by God. They are made in his image. And you say, wow. Think about that. Spouses, when's the last time you woke up in the morning? You looked at your, you looked at your spouse and you said, wow. You are made by God. And you listed specific ways that you, you celebrated them. You celebrated who they are. God doesn't make junk. I said that last week and I'll say it again. He doesn't make junk. He only makes masterpieces. So love begins with an adoration. It begins with admiration. It begins the sense of, look, whatever flaws you may have, whatever failures you have, and they may be great, they may be massive, they may be staring us in the face, there is something there to celebrate. So first, love says, wow. Second, love says, welcome, welcome. Come on in. Love always invites. It receives Love has open arms, has embrace. Yes, I'm sure there are specifics, there are specific situations, certain situations that require wisdom, they require counsel, they require specificity, but in general, love not only says, wow. Love says, welcome, come on, welcome, come on in. But third, love says, I'm with you. Love is committed. It says, I'm with you. It's not, it's not just here, you know, it's not just sort of this non-committal, well, we'll see. It's, there's a dogged commitment. Love says, I'm with you. So love says, wow, it says, welcome. Love says, I'm with you. Now listen, this is important. Love also says, watch out. Watch out. Love warns. Not arrogantly, not condemningly. Not in this sort of, I'm better, what's wrong with you kind of way. But love says, I care about you and what's going to happen to you. I want to sit down and have a hard conversation with you. I want to warn you. Watch out. Don't you see what's coming? So love says, wow. It says, welcome. It says, I'm with you. It says, watch out. And then love says this. It says, it says watch this. Watch this. In other words, love is an example. I'll do this first. I'm going to go do this thing first. I'm going to go obey first. I'm going to go sacrifice first. I'm going to go do this first. It says, watch this. Because love is an example. And six... Love says, what if, what if, see, love casts a vision. Well, what if we did this instead? What if at school, instead of doing this with your classmates, you did this? What if, what if at work we did this? You know, love, love inspires, love takes the imagination in the direction of things that are uncharted. Love is shrewd. Jesus says, what did Jesus say? He said, be as innocent as a dove and what? as shrewd as a serpent. Love is not dumb. Love, it says, what if? And it casts vision. And finally, you ready for this? Love says, whatever the cost. 
Listen, Jesus lost everything. There on the cross, his life looked like a complete failure. Don't ever think how often I have thought that I could love without cost. There is no such thing. The world speaks of love in terms of chemistry and connection. It's a bunch of crap. I'm sorry. It's a bunch of crap. Love is so costly. It's beautiful. It's noble. You will feel alive in the midst of loving, but you will also feel like you're dying. You know why? Because you're dying. Okay? Got it? It's costly. Jesus died on a cross. It was just like, hey, I'm on the cross now. He was dying. All right? So love says seven things. Wow. Celebrates his welcome. It invites in. Love says, I'm with you. I'm committed. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. Love says, watch out. And warns. Wake up. Love says, watch this. Watch this. I'm going to live an example. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fail. Watch this. I'm going to confess my sins again and again and again and again. See, kids, this is, what, this is what Christians do. They confess their sins again and again and again and again and again. See, kids, those who, are most lo- who love you, who are closest to you, guess what? They're going to fail you. And I'm the example of failing you. And I'm here to confess. I'm here to get on my knees. I'm here to ask you for forgiveness. Because I'm gonna, I want you to learn an important life lesson. That's those, those who are closest to you are going to hurt you the most. Because it's just a matter of proximity. It's a matter of proximity. We all hurt each other deeply. So love says not only watch this as an example, but love says what if. Cast the vision. What if we did this? What if we, you get together and you huddle, and what if we did this? What if we loved our enemies in this way? Someone's wronged us. Why don't we do what they're not expecting? What if? And finally, says, finally, love says, whatever the cost. So then, very practically, I just love it. Every, this, this, week, this week, you woke up, and you said, okay, see that dawn out there? See the sun? That's this wonderful, beautiful symbolism. This is wonderful metaphor that God has given me to remind me that the night always gives way to the light. It's this way of remembering that the, that the, that the darkness will give way to what is life to what is hope, to what is good. God has given me this morning, this dawn, to remind me that I am to keep loving because the light is coming. He's given me this particular morning to say, stop the, stop the works of night and pick up those weapons of light. Can you do that? It's very simple. Again, the whole point of this sermon series is to infuse our, our, the mundane with meaning. To take our schedules and infuse them, to fill them with his story. To take our routine and to make it into ritual. This morning, this, every morning this week and from now on, embrace that. The dawn is here. And I, know, I know what scripture says about the morning. I know what scripture says about waking up. Cause me to keep loving. To keep loving because the light is coming. Let me just practically say, very simply, this is something that I myself have not been doing, so I'm going to give you some application that I myself have not been doing. Most of my life I have, but of late I haven't. I've been so discouraged. I've been so down lately. I've been so depressed. And, but, but, you know, apparently, a lot of therapists, a lot of um, 
Um, doctors say that it is very important to wake up at a consistent hour every day. To have whatever it is, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever it may be, to get up at a consistent time is an important thing. You get up at that same time every morning. You do whatever it takes. I mean, you set the alarm uh, across the room, whatever it is. So you got to get out of bed, whatever it is. But you get in that routine, and that will be a very life-giving thing. In fact, one well-known therapist said this quote. He says, I have had many clients whose anxiety was reduced to subclinical levels merely because they started to sleep on a predictable schedule and eat, and eat breakfast. Isn't that amazing? Simply getting up at the same time and having a breakfast. And again, we have a number of dietitians here, and you can consult them for what kind of breakfast that you should have. Um, from my understanding, it's usually a protein-heavy breakfast. It's a good thing for you. So, but the very simply, very practically, we wake up in the morning, and we realize, oh, this is not just some random event. This is a morning that is symbolic, that's full of meaning. It is a ritual I wake up to say, I'm going to keep loving because the light is coming. Listen, in Paul's day, who was on the throne? One of them was a guy named Nero. He was the emperor of Rome. Let me close with this. Think about it. Paul was a nobody. He He was put to death. He was martyred. He was a blip on the screen at the time. No one knew about him. No one tweeted him. No one wrote about him in the New York Times. He was nameless. The world was enshrouded in darkness. I want to close with this simple one-sentence quote from an, uh, an historian of early Christianity. He speaks of Paul's martyrdom under the Roman emperor, Nero. He said, listen to this. He says, The day would come when men would call their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. Think about that. In that time, Nero's on the throne, all this power, Paul's a nobody. But there would come a day, almost 2,000 years later, really, when men would say, I'm going to name my son Paul, out of the example that he kept loving because he knew the night, he knew the, excuse me, he knew the light was coming. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how good it is how good it is to hear your word, the simple exhortations. Father, how beautiful your word is to speak to us using metaphors from our, our daily life. Father, how good it is to simply stop and to think about love and to, to discern what it really is. Father, some of us, for some of us, some of these aspects of love are so natural. We, we know how to welcome. Father, we know how to maybe cast vision. We know how to say what if. But for, there are other things, Father, that are so contrary, so unlike us. Father, sometimes how difficult it is to celebrate others. How difficult it is to count the cost. How difficult it is to, to, uh, to be that example, to go there first. Father, I think of the husbands and fathers here especially. How difficult it can be to, to be the head of a home, to be that example when all you want to do, you just want to run away. Father, it's so, so obvious why there are so many absentee fathers in our culture because being a husband and being a father are just hard, thankless. Just thankless tasks, thankless role, thankless responsibility. Father, I pray, just pray, Lord, that you indeed would infuse our every day, our morning, our waking with the word of Paul, that we might indeed be moved 
to love as he did, to love at great cost, to be a nobody in the 21st century because we believe where the world is going, that you, Jesus, have won history, that you are at its helm, that you are reigning at the right hand of the Father and you are making all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.